today is kind of a uh, bittersweet day uh, in which uh, we celebrate uh, children and we celebrate our new worship leader, Derek, uh, which we talked about last week. But Isaac uh, Pellerin, who's uh, been on staff for the past five years, uh, this is his last day in full time. Uh, actually, where he gets a paycheck, we may ask him to come back sometime when you don't get paid. But, um, but uh, Isaac, it's uh, been really cool. I've been thinking about the fact that uh, uh, the last time uh, that we will meet here was a very different place than where we were uh, over five years ago when we were meeting upstairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were a little different then, um, a but uh, not a whole lot. <laughs> But um, we thought we'd just do a little interview, and uh, I thought, Isaac, maybe you could just tell us what some of the changes are that you've seen in the jar over the last five years. Some of the changes over the past five years. Um, Well, I'd have to say that, um, you know, starting out, I mean, there are 12 people. (laughs) That's one of the most obvious changes. Um, And I'd have to say... For for myself, I look at there being five years of opportunities um, where each person that has come in and and that I've interacted with has changed me in some way, um, mostly for the better. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'd say that there are a lot of changes. Um, it gets very personal to to look out at everybody and. I can just see a lot of faces of people that impacted and changed my life and places people that I know that I had a part in changing their life too. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot of opportunities and a lot of uh, yeah. ways that we've changed. <laughs> a lot about people, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was thinking, uh, one, you know, Isaac's grown facial hair uh, since uh, he first came five years ago. I and I've cut, actually I also cut my hair from down here and cut the hair and a lot of different hair issues there. Yeah, I'm going to shave my head next week. Yeah. yeah. And shave head next week. Okay. Well, that's, and uh, I know for me I used to have a unibrow, but I love my wife so much that I go through the pain that you women go through. And I'm not afraid to be a male and tell you about it, okay? So but there've been a lot of changes in the midst mm-hmm. of all that. Um, now this past October you got uh, married Mm-hmm. And uh, you actually married up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, True. I'm not ashamed and, to say it. <laughs> and and I know that because I married up quite a bit. Okay. And uh, you and Katie are living in uh, Indianapolis mm-hmm. now. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people would just like to kind of know what some of your plans are, what's going on, and um, that kind of thing. Some of the plans. Let's see. I think I have about as much of a clue of what the plan is right now as I did five years ago when I came here, um, which um, I can honestly say that I, when I came here, it was because I felt like God was leading me here, and when I made the decision to stay, it was God making the decision for me, um, and then um, through that, you know, probably last year when I started sensing that a transition was coming and he was going to be sending me somewhere else and discerning all of that. It was more out of a um, sense of just this is the next step and this is what obedience will look like. And um, So, yeah, so the plan, I mean, my 
plan would be to get a job as soon as possible. So, um, <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. And um, yeah, but I think right now we're just going to enjoy um, married life for um, the adventure that it can be and allow our experiences to draw us closer together. Yeah. And I know you had an interview on Thursday, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll pray for that, but we'll, we'll ask that God would... They said I would hear back by Tuesday or on Thursday, so I haven't heard back yet, so they're, <laughs> so they're it's really coming. putting me through it. So. And I know that uh, Katie's dad's here today, so he is looking for a job, okay? I just want you to know. <laughs> well, Isaac, uh, it's... Uh, It's been a wonderful relationship, and uh, in many ways it's been more like a brother, and so um, as your older brother, I know that I've rarely given you the last word on things, (laughs) but uh, today I'm going to give you kind of a a last kind of uh, point here, whatever you want to share with us, kind of the last word, so why don't you go ahead. Well, um... I think as a last word, I have to say, um, first of all, thank you for being part of my community. Um, In five years, like I said, there's a lot of opportunities, um, a lot of opportunities to share a lot of joy, um, a lot of opportunities to be there for me when I've been in pain. Um, You know, when... When you look at um, at people and you're you're moving on, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, I left home for college and um, was moving on to another step. But you know, my family is there, and that's definitely how I view this transition: is that I'm moving on to another step, but um, but my family is here, and um, so for all of you who have been part of that, um, I just really thank you and. I think my biggest, my biggest encouragement is that, um, um, to the best of my ability, I'm trying to discern what God's will is for my life, and um, and I would have to say that um, there's no more rewarding way to live than to live in that unknown of what that will look like. But um, and so. Um, I think my encouragement to Derek is that um, I've really appreciated the time that we've spent um, getting to know each other, and um, you know, I just fully trust Derek right now, just with everything that um, that comes with this responsibility, and um, and just the way that when he's talked about how God's led him here, I felt like it was the same same way that God led me here five years ago, and so. I know it was scary for Chris when I told him in May that, like, well, I'm going. He's like, well, what's going to happen? I'm like, well, if God's telling me to go, then he's telling someone else to come. So <laughs> we're just going have to have to trust that that's going on. So, um, so yeah. So I'm not going to be a stranger, but um, <laughs> but thank you all for um, for being part of my community. Yeah. Well, let's pray for Isaac and uh, thank him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the journeys that you take us on in this thing called the Christian faith. 
And God, I thank you so much for Isaac and the uh, impact that he has made um, through you. And God, we thank you so much for all that he's done. And uh, we pray a blessing upon he and Katie and um, their family that, God, as they go forward, that you would just use them in greater ways than what you even used him in these past five years. And, Father, that you would uh, allow that same spirit that drew him here to let him know that that same spirit goes with him into a new area. And, Father, I do pray that if this job that uh, he interviewed for on Thursday is a piece of that, God, that there would be nothing that would stand in that from happening. And, God, uh, would you just use um, Isaac in a powerful way? Um, and would you use he and Katie in their marriage as they go forward to serve and to love you and to love people? Because we know when it all comes down, that's what it's about, God, uh, loving you and loving people. Um, bless his life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him my hand again. Well, today we are concluding our series, Christmas of Another Kind, and we are going to uh, begin this by actually uh, looking at a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, uh, that deals with uh, this whole kind of area of uh, this theological word called incarnation. Now, when I say incarnation, I'm not talking about a breakfast cereal, okay? Okay. That is called carnation, okay? Incarnation is a big word that means that God came in flesh. It's that period in which uh, Jesus left from heaven and came to earth. And so if you'll look at the side screens, we're going to go ahead and read this together in one full voice. Uh, So uh, let's look at it and we'll read it uh, together. Let's read. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." to the glory of God the Father. Good job. You all get an A, or at least most of you do, okay? Now, we're going to look at this passage throughout this morning. But before we dig into the passage, I have a series of questions that I want to ask you, and then I just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. You'll have a couple of options at the end, and then I'd just like you to either shout out, or if you're not a shouter, just kind of keep it to yourself underneath your breath. But uh, whatever is the first thing, don't think about these really hard, okay? So here's the first one. There is a reorganization that's taking place at your place of employment. 
Your boss says your job is going away. But good for you, there are two other positions that you can apply for. One represents a promotion. The other would represent a demotion. Which interests you the most? Yeah, promotion. Okay, here's the second one. You have just received a promotion. As part of the promotion, you get your own office. There are two offices you can move into. They both are the same and on the same floor. But one has 18 square feet more space. Would you take the bigger office or the smaller office? Bigger office, right. Okay, one more. Last one. You are asked by your boss to go on a business trip. He tells you that you can pick business class or sardine city class, okay? Which are you going to choose? Business class, exactly. If you've ever flown, you'll know that, okay? Now, we could go on and on with this series of questions about what you would take. But the reality that I've found is that most of us want to be up and to the right. And so we desire to go up and up and up and to the right and up and to the right. And that is what we want in life, that we would just keep on going. Because we think that on the other side of this, if we just keep going up and up and up to the right, that eventually we'll have more joy we'll have a greater sense of soul satisfaction, and there'll be greater peace in our life if we just continue to go up and to the right. Now, this is really ingrained in each of us. We all want more success and go up there. But this is what I found. Not only in our economic time, but just in life in general, as I've talked to people, most of our life right now, both economically and in other ways, is going down and to the right. I mean, jobs are going down. The stock market went down this week. The interest rate for CDs is going down. And the Pacers are going down. And Ball State basketball and football and pretty much any sport at Ball State is going down, okay? I mean, the Colts are going up, right? But when Manning leaves, folks... It is going to go down, and it will be Jeff George days again. I'm telling you, you know. You only stay up so long. And I've talked to so many people whose reality is not this, but it's this. It is down and to the right. And there is this idea that there can be absolutely no joy found there when you're down and to the right. And when you look at this downward thing, you think to yourself, that's the worst possible thing that could happen to a person. Down and to the right. But throughout the Bible, more often than not, the warning is not for those who are down and to the right, but it's for those who are up and to the right. The Bible says that prosperity often damages people more than adversity. When you are up and to the right, all of a sudden things become very easy and you become addicted to things like stuff and power and more stuff and achievement. And pretty soon what I found is people decide when they're up and they're to the right, they don't need God. They don't need God. They don't need the husband or the wife who got them to where they're at. They don't need the kids anymore. 
I know a guy, when we first started the jar, we were up there with a dozen people. And we were meeting upstairs. And he came with his wife and their four kids, and he was unemployed. And they struggled. They struggled in a mightily kind of way, just barely knowing if they were going to make it. And every Sunday, though, he was there. And they were growing as a marriage. They were growing as a family. And then he got this good, high-paying job. And before long, they started buying stuff. He started working more on weekends so that they could pay for more overtime. And before long, they bought a new house, a new car. And then they stopped going to church as much. And eventually... The marriage started having some issues and the kids started rebelling. One of them got kicked out of school. And then before long, the marriage collapsed and he divorced his wife and she left him and took three of the kids. And now he's by himself with one of the kids who's struggling with drugs. Now, I'm not saying that this happens in every situation or case. But I will say that it happens much of the time. In my five years of experience here, when people are up and to the right, they no longer need this sense of God. Eventually, what happens when people are up and to the right, they become arrogant and ungrateful and unthankful and selfish, and they just think that they can do it all on their own. Just look at what Tiger Woods has gone through over the past few weeks. It's all because it's up and to the right. Jesus said this, And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, at the same time, the Bible also says this, that people who are going through down and to the right... That it's not the end of the world. In fact, sometimes when your chart goes down and to the right like that, you lose your job, whatever, your openness to God becomes greater. Sometimes when the chart's going down, you begin to start depending more upon God. And you rely more on people. And I'll tell you what, those two things speak a whole lot louder than whatever your own financial worth is. Plus, if you desire attributes like gentleness and humility and patience, it's likely to happen when you're going through something like that than when you're going up and to the right. So with this kind of idea as the backdrop, I'd like us to look at the Scripture, that, uh, and you can look in your program that we read right at the beginning. Because... I think if you didn't look critically, what you would say is what is happening to Jesus is that he is going through a demotion. But what I'd like to say is that Jesus' demotion was actually your and my promotion. It became steps of how to live a more abundant life. He showed us how to do it. So our scripture begins by saying that Jesus left heaven and he took a downward step. So... Jesus is here in heaven, and the Scripture tells us that He took a downward step here to earth. 
Now, most of us don't know what that step entailed, but it was a step nonetheless. He left heaven and he came down to earth. And I just want you to know that that first step was a huge step. It was gigantic. It was ginormous. The reality is we're all human beings and we don't understand what heaven is. But I'm telling you, the gap between heaven and earth is wide and large. A few years ago, my wife Jennifer and I, we'd only been married for a while, and we went on vacation with a couple. And this couple that we went on vacation with, somehow we decided that we would uh, spend the night in Richmond, Indiana. And when we got there, uh, Jennifer was asking me, did you get a reservation for the hotel? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, I know I did. And it was at Lee's Inn and Suites. However, for some reason, I don't know what was going on during this time, but Richmond was like just packed. All the hotels were packed in Richmond, Indiana. And so I go up to the counter at Lee's Inn and Suites, and uh, I politely asked them, uh, you know, my name and told them not, and they said, we have given your room away. Now, just remember that my wife and two other people are in the car thinking we're going inside. And uh, she's already on my case that I haven't made the reservation. So I'm asking the person, I was like, well, is there anything you can do? Is there somewhere you can send me to? They said, yeah, you know, good luck, but uh, there's one place that we think you could get a place. It's the Super 8. And I'm like, no problem, I like Super 8. They said there's a railroad track right beside it. Now, at that point, I thought, no problem, we can make this work. I got back into the car, told my wife the situation, and she thought, thought, oh, Super 8, no problem. But I didn't tell her about the railroad tracks, okay? We get to the Motel 8, or the uh, Super 8, we get checked in, and when we walked into the room, it was filthy. One of those places where you don't want to take your shoes off, you know what I mean? Now, most of the time, we've stayed at Super 8. We like Super 8, but this Super 8 was a little bit different. I mean, it was the type of the place when you kind of pulled back, you know, the covers. You thought, I better put some clothes down there first before I lay on the sheets. You know what I mean? And so we get there, and it's just like that. And just to put it simply so we don't tarry too long, uh, Jennifer was not happy, okay? Now, I'm suffering because of this room, and I'm suffering because of her unhappiness. And as we're laying there, we finally get relaxed, and all of a sudden, we hear a sound like this. And lights, I'm not kidding you, come through. And Jennifer jumps up and goes, we're leaving! (coughs) and so I'm laying there in my suffering state and I'm thinking man there is a huge gap between Lee Zen and the Super 8 you know you know we all become accustomed to a certain way of how we live of how we travel of what motel we stay in and it becomes real uncomfortable when we have to Take a step down. When Jesus left heaven to come to earth, he took a step down. I mean, 
I don't know what heaven exactly is, but as I look at Scripture, it says there is unimaginable beauty. The sights and the sounds and the smells and the splendors of heaven, that's all Jesus ever knew. He only knew heaven, and he knew it from eternity past. And when he wakes up on this very first morning of Christmas, the very first Christmas on planet Earth, he sees that he's in a barn. The first thing that he smells is urine and manure. The first sounds that he hears are animals and other chickens. This is a real wake-up call, folks, from being in heaven to coming to earth. In heaven, Scripture tells us all Jesus had ever known was legions of angels hovering over the throne, tens of thousands of angels who would sing. Their only job was to sing, Worthy is the Lamb, holy, 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 there is none like you. But when Jesus gets to earth, it's a different thing. There's none of that going on. There are just some cows and some donkeys and some people standing around him. That's all there is. No more legions of choirs singing, worthy, worthy. In heaven, what Jesus knew was a relational unity that the world doesn't even understand. Of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all working together in perfect harmony. Uninterrupted, intimate relating. But he gets to earth and he finds out that he's alone in a manger. He looks up and he's like, is this my mom? Is this my dad? He's surrounded by strangers. No friends. He's all alone in this place called planet earth. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was in heaven... He could speak just one word, and every single person in heaven would do what he said. He had power. He had might. But on that first Christmas, he's lying in a manger, in a cattle-feeding trough, and he has no power. He has to depend upon his mom to change his diapers, that they'll feed him. He's completely powerless. Friends, I'm just telling you, you have no idea what that demotion was like. From here, as we do it, that's the best that I know how to do it. But that gap, just imagine it being as wide as the east is from the west. But it doesn't end there. He takes another step down, and he actually becomes man. Just by a show of hands, how many of you know what it's like to be a human? Do we have aliens? I said, just by a sign of hands, do you know what it's like to be human? Everybody's hands should, okay, there you go. Yeah, sure, we all know what it's like to be human. To be hungry, to be tired, to be exhausted. We know what it's like to be elbowed at Walmart. Or have someone shake their fist at us in a parking lot. Or maybe just one finger. When they do that, folks, they're not saying you're number one, okay? But if you have ever, but if all you've ever known is heaven, do you see what kind of demotion it was for Jesus to come all the way down to man? And plus, Jesus didn't come in the dominant culture of his day. He came into a slave culture, in a culture where he was discriminated against. He was a Jew. 
He grew up constantly being made fun of, being put down, being called Jew boy, Jew boy, Jew boy. He never experienced any of this before in heaven. In heaven, everyone bowed down to him. But now he takes all the hits that you and I take. And he didn't just become a man, but the scripture tells us that he even became a servant, leader. Jesus did not come with political power. He wasn't a part of the Rockefellers or the Kennedys or any other powerful family. He just came to serve, to lead, and to teach. And the role of serving others, as you might know, is not glamorous. Many times you're used and abused and misused. And Jesus was no exception. Now in heaven, every single person listened to his word. They would say, we adore you, we worship you, you're number one, we submit to you. But once Jesus comes to planet earth and he becomes a man and then he becomes a servant, his leading and teaching is not very valued. I mean, the same human beings that he helped to create with his father are the same ones now that are like rolling their eyes at him and like, talk to the hand. Get lost, Jesus. You're just a servant. We know what you're like. I just wonder what that must have felt like for the second person of the Trinity to have that kind of treatment. But Jesus goes on. He keeps serving. He keeps leading. He keeps teaching. And then ultimately, Jesus comes to the final kind of place that he's willing to take on death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. An excruciating death, a painful death, a death of torture. Jesus is beaten, he's spit on, he's tormented, he's whipped. He's hung on a cross, ridiculed all the time, saying, if you really are God, come on down. And it's just like demotion, 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 to finally the ultimate demotion of him dying on a cross. He winds up spread eagle, naked, on a cross with a crown of thorns on his head. He's bleeding and dying voluntarily. You see, folks, the demotion from heaven to his death on the cross was huge. We have no concept. And yet when he left heaven... He said, I'll take the series of demotions. Folks, there's never been anyone who's ever walked the planet Earth who went through this kind of demotion. And the question that I'm sure many of us are like, well, what's that all about? Why did he do it? Now, we know about the reward. The Father says that he will honor him. That giving him the name that is above every name that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I have a feeling that many of us are, why did he do it? Why would he have taken that kind of demotion? None of us would have. But he did. And it all comes down to one word. Love. He did it because he loves you. In fact, He loves you so much that He took whatever sin you had in your life and He crossed it out 
And he says, if you turn to me, all you will get is love and love and love more when you confess your sin to me. I'll take it on. He took it on. It's already done. You don't have to do anything except turn to him. You don't have to take a demotion to receive his love. The Bible says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son to show love and to cancel sin for you and for me. And through this demotion, not only do we get love, folks, but we get one more thing. We get abundant life while we're here on earth. In other words, you don't have to wait until you get to heaven. The whole key of His love is the fact that He brings you to enjoying the greatest abundant life while you're here. And then the ultimate gift then is finally one day you will be able to be in eternity with Christ forever in heaven. But I just want you to know that this gift that He gave was not cheap. It came with a cost. Because love requires a cost. Now, we're trying to live a Christmas of another kind this year. And the other kind we're trying to live is a more loving Christmas, a more loving person. And I just want you to know, if you're going to be a more loving person, you've got to take some series of demotions. Now, let me walk this through you. Again, We are talking about love. Let's begin, first of all, with marriage. If a husband is to ever love his wife, or if a wife is to ever love her husband, it's going to take a demotion. You take a demotion of the time that you had. When you were single, you could do whatever you wanted whenever you wanted. But now you're married, so it takes time. You have to think of the other person's needs. A husband takes a step of demotion from watching ESPN all the time to watching Glee. And so you think you can dance. Maybe that's just in my house. I don't know. A wife takes a step down from having good, long nights of sleep to being by the snoring giant called her husband. You both take a demotion to pick up their dirty clothes. Wash their dishes. Care for them when they're sick. Listen to them when you're already exhausted. Because a marriage, if it lasts the long haul, unless you take a series of demotions like that, eventually you'll give up. But when you take a series of demotions like Jesus did, you experience a joy-filled marriage that's filled to the max. Let's take parents. A man and a woman, they pray, they conceive, and they're so excited they're going to have a child. And the first thing that happens to the mom when she becomes pregnant is she takes a demotion. This slender, lovely person becomes a larger person. Okay, And there is a fashion demotion. There is a comfort demotion. And of course, then the husband takes a demotion as well. Because if mom is not happy, what? Nobody's happy. So they work extra hours. They put in more time. They make investments. They paint the nursery. 
And then the baby comes, and as soon as the baby comes, sleep, as you knew it before, goes long away, which I'm experiencing now. And then you go through that era where you're driving them all over the place from this activity to that activity to the next. High school comes, and you're trying to keep them from rebelling, and it's just one series after another of demotions to be a parent. And then they go to college, and you go into poverty. So just what I'm saying is if you really love your kids, you will take a series of demotions. But each demotion that you take is actually an investment into their life. And when you do it like Jesus did, you learn to value family at a higher level and you have joy-filled kids. I can't tell you anything that's more beautiful than seeing kids who are joy-filled because their parents have taken demotions to fill them up. Let's take friends. Some of you say, I want better friends. You say, I just wish I had a richer, fuller relational life. So how do you do that? How do you build friendship? Well, you do not build friendship by standing or sitting in your house and expecting someone to come to you. The Bible says that in the same way that Jesus had this pattern, we have to have that same pattern with our friends, demoting ourselves. You say to your friends that I'm willing to make a commitment to you, to build into you. Because love requires that kind of demotional pattern. You go to the person and you say, you know what? I want to invest some time in you. Do you know how you spell love? T-I-M-E. It's how you invest in them. You've got to listen. You've got to laugh. You've got to be present with them. Every meaningful friendship that I've ever had, it's taken investment on my part. It takes time and energy, sometimes even money. But there is a great reward to the investment deal when you demote yourself. And I don't mean to be rude or crude on Christmas, but I just want to tell you this. That if you don't invest in people, you will have no friends. I guarantee it. You don't invest in people, you'll have no friends. If you don't invest in your marriage, you're going to have a crummy marriage. If you don't demote yourself with your kids, you're going to have wrecked kids. Last thing, church sitter to serving others. Folks, some of us come on Christmas, we sit here. Next week you'll come, you'll sit here. The next week you'll come, you'll sit here. And you'll sit for a long, long period of time. And I'm telling you, the only way that it becomes more impactful is when you invest your life within this place called the jar. The only fullness of joy comes. You want to experience joy on Christmas? It's when you give yourself back to Christ and His church. It's when you roll up your sleeves and you say, I'm going to start making a commitment each Sunday. I'm going to start praying for the church. I'm going to get connected in a small group. I'm going to serve in some way. And I'm going to invest a little money. And you start doing this, and all of a sudden, all these expressions of love, it feels like a demotion. But what happens to your life is you get filled and encouraged, and God uses you in amazing ways that you would have never been used if you were all about up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right. The key to becoming a more loving person is being willing to take some steps downward. 
so that other people are lifted up. Here's my final challenge. Our scripture began today by saying this. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So what kind of attitude did Jesus have? He had an attitude of demotion. He was willing to take some steps down because he knew that that's what love required. Folks, all of you want to be more loving people this Christmas, don't you? Okay, the correct answer for that would be yes. Okay, just saying, I, I could tell some of you were zoning a little bit, okay? So let's, let, let me ask that question again. And you can even lie you, if you have to, you know? Um, you want to become a more loving person this Christmas, don't you? Yes, okay. Well, if you want to become a more loving person this Christmas, it is going to be a series of demotions, of taking some steps downward. So between now and Christmas, I want to give you a challenge of, that you would take one or two steps down. Okay? A very practical way, but find somebody and serve them. And serve them in such a way that they could not pay you back. Maybe a stranger, somebody else. But serve somebody this Christmas that they can't pay you back. Serve somebody. Then take another step and express love to somebody. Now, in your program, I gave you five different kind of steps that you can take. I'd like you to pull it out and circle one of these, okay? Go ahead. Now, the first one is for some of you to have a look of love. For some of you, that would be huge to just have a look of love. Or it might be a word of love, or it might be a touch of love. Now, these are all great choices, but you know what it's going to require you? Energy, time, focus to be able to do that. You might have to do that with people that you don't even like that much, but it'll take some time. Neighbor, coworker, friend, family, who do you need to give a look or a word or a touch of love to? Another challenge you might take up is sit down and actually write out a card or send a letter to somebody. Technology is great, but you know what has happened? We communicate everything by typing. Nothing speaks to you more than when you get a handwritten letter from somebody expressing love. And I think the reason why people don't do it anymore is because it takes energy and effort to sit down. you got to go to the store, pick out a card, come back home, write some nice words, put it in an envelope, find their address, put on a stamp, then go out and mail it. You're like, forget that, you know. But I'm telling you, you want to give great love to someone, you send them something in the mail. And finally, I realize that it's a very difficult economic time for us. But I would encourage some of you, this year maybe hasn't been that tough, that you would give some of your money away. Now, I'm not talking about a big amount. It could be something small. But do something that another person cannot repay you for. It doesn't have to be a lot, but give something to them. In fact, I was just thinking this week that I know there are a lot of hurting people in our community right now. And so, 
I'm going to go to the ATM tomorrow and get a little extra cash, and I'm just going to walk around, and when I see needs, I'm going to pray to God, God, show me whoever that is, and I'm going to give money to them. Who needs a financial blessing, and whoever that is, I'm just going to give it to them. Now, I plan on doing this anonymously if I can, if I can figure out a need, and I can put it in an envelope and give it away. That's what I'm going to do. If not, I'm just going to give some money away. Now, just for clarification, I am not going to the ATM until tomorrow. (laughs) So if you come up and you try to hit me for some cash today, I can't. But I'm, I'm being serious. Tomorrow comes, you need a little extra. If you can find me. I'll give some away. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but you can do something to give joy away. And you know the greatest way to experience joy is when you give yourself away to people, when you take the demotion steps that Jesus did for us. So a look of love, word of love, touch of love, a note, give money away, do something. And then allow yourself to be filled. Because the greatest joy was when Jesus gave himself away for us. And now it's our turn to give ourselves away to others. Let's stand and sing.
Gracious God, we just thank you so much that all heaven and nature sings about your love. And Jesus, we thank you so much for taking a demotion, coming downstairs to be with us. And God, maybe for some people here today that they have uh, just never given themselves fully to you. And I pray in this moment, Jesus, that you would allow them to do that. That they would know that you came so that they would be loved and their sin could be forgiven forever. And God, for some of us, maybe we've drifted back and forth with you, but this is the moment now, God, where you're wanting to do business of saying, as, as Jesus demoted himself, I submit myself to you. And God, may we leave with joy, knowing that the greatest Christmas gift was Jesus coming downstairs to be with us. For his honor, for his glory, we pray. Amen. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up. Thanks.